0: Mid Autumn Festival, Chinese Moon Festival, and second grandest festival. The Mid Autumn Festival or Mid Autumn Day is the second grandest festival in China after the Chinese New Year's. It has name. It is named so far that it is celebrated on the fifteenth day of the eighth lunar month which is always the middle of autumn season in China. It is believed that when the moon is at its fullest and brightest, also what we know as the supermoon, uh, this is the Chinese way of worshipping the moon and to appreciate of its beauty. It is a time for the family to have reunion. It symbolizes a reunion of family, and they celebrate, and where they share foods, joy, dinner, and best of all, mooncake. So, uh, it's typically around September twenty-first. Um, it, it really depends, right, um, with the uh, the the year. So. A Chinese Mid-Autumn Festival is celebrated again on the 15th day of 8th of the month in Chinese um, Lunar Calendar. So in Gregarian calendar, like I said, depends on which calendar you look at, falls between September or early October. Uh, this is where they do enjoy a day off and the people usually take three days of holidays to enjoy this to celebrate. And, um, you know, uh, the people in Hong Kong, Macau, and uh, Taiwan, Japan, Korea, um, Singapore, Malaysia, some in Thailand, different parts of Southeast Asia do practice this uh, celebration as well. So what do they actually do? Well, they appreciate the full moon for one. So this is a tradition in a Chinese culture that every um, in in the festival at night when it's at full brightest moon and the family gets together and they have a big meal that they share. And some of the food that they share includes, um, you know, um, osmanthus wine, which is type of flower, osmanthus cake, crab, ducks, taro, pumpkins. Um, and of course, they have pomelo that represent the moon itself. They they love to have crab to include this because the crab is kind of you know represent the water, which is part of the creation myth. So, um, and uh, and of course, you have the moon cake, and the moon cake is just if you never had it, you must try. It. So there's a couple kinds. Um, you have the browned. Type of shells the, thats the pastry part, and um, sometimes they put like a, a red egg yolk inside. Sometimes it's uh, chicken or duck eggs, depends. Um, and now they also have what they call snowy mooncake, and which is uh, glutinous rice, and kind of feels like a mochi on the outside, and it's all handcrafted and they make it fresh. So, and because it's white glutinous uh, rice, they, they tend to add different colors to it and it's absolutely gorgeous and so delicate to, to eat it. Now the inside is really fun. You, they tend to use um, uh, mung beans, the yellow beans, and um, lotus seed, that's my favorite. And uh, you'll have maybe walnuts, sesame seeds, and uh, anyway, these people just get ex- like exceptionally creative of what, what they can do with the, the pace on the inside. And of course it always typically accompany uh, a fabulous uh, tea as well. So, um, and this is where the tea ceremony tend to accompany uh, when you eat the moon cake. So how does the drink osmanthus wine work well around the festival uh, the osmanthus is always in full bloom so this is a good time to drink the wine and it's light yellow with strong osmanthus fragrance and grape similar to um, to the flavor sweet and a little bit sour and soft okay so the other things that they do is they hang the festival lantern and this is where kids especially children i remember when i was a child we were making hanging lantern on the stick and then you had to put a candle light inside and walk around there's just something fabulous about that experience but when you go to places like hong kong or guangdong which is the southern part of um, china they hang the lantern everywhere and it's just it's so romantic. If you never had that experience, I encourage you to try it. And so the other things that they they do uh, in the in the uh, f- during the festival is the fire dragon dance. Uh, for those of you who never seen it, it is just noisy and and crazy uh, time. And they do give out red envelopes where they put money in as a good luck. Okay, so red is a color of good luck in, uh, in uh, China. So that's another color for, um, for marriage color too. Red and pink, so you'll see that. So the fire dragon dance has another myth and story that I wanted to talk about today. And all of this is happens again during the uh, full moon festival. Eighteen popular mid-autumn festival traditions. How do Chinese celebrate the mid-autumn festival? Since ancient times, there have been various Chinese mid-autumn festival traditions, including worshipping the moon, appreciating the moon, eating moon cake, enjoying osmanthus, and drinking osmanthus wine. There are eighteen popular mid-autumn. First one is have fun in the moonlight on the night of the mid-autumn festival people wear beautiful clothes to have fun in moonlight they stroll in the street appreciating the moon talk and laugh with friends and family in southern uh, Jiangsu, northern zhenjian and shanghai people also walk over at least three bridges in order to surpass all sufferings two they worship the moon the worship of the moon is a very old mid autumn festival tradition in China. People would set a large table facing direction of the moon with a table, uh, a tablet of the moon god, sticks of incense and red candles on it, then add moon cake, watermelons, apples, red dates, plums, grapes, and other sacrifices. Then the whole family worshiped the moon in turn, praying for blessings. When they say sacrifices, it's not where, you know, it's the guillotine here. This is uh, it's more like the accurate word for that would be an offering. So it's kind of like appeasing the spirits. OK, uh, three appreciating the full moon is it's been said that the moon is closest to the earth and looks the brightest during the festival. Again, that's the supermoon when it's at closest to the Earth. Therefore, since ancient time, there has been custom of admiring the moon. The Chinese moon festival tradition had been formed in the Three Kingdoms to Jin Dynasty. That's around 220 to 420 ADs. So, but it was actually the Deng Dynasty around 618 to 907 AD that they really appreciate the moon and made it popular into the court and for the regular folks. So I'm going to tell you more about a little bit more in depth, the historical aspects of it. But we're going to move forward and read all the 18. Okay, So the fourth one, again, um, it's the mooncake, and this is where Everybody's got to have a mooncake. So if you can't make it at home, then you go out and you buy these and it it gets to be exceptionally expensive and they have to make it fresh, um, you know, and they sell it right away. So it's not something that you want to keep overnight, like a donut, you know, and uh, it tends to be really beautiful because they'll have like some kind of molding and they'll make beautiful uh, flowers you know, um, print out of it. So, um, again, if you never had it, you've got to try the moon cakes and it is seasonal only. Okay. So the other thing you want to do is watch the tie. When the, when the planet shift, you know, with the alignment of the moon and the earth, it's going to affect the ties. Okay. So they do watch the tie, uh, during this festival and, um, you know the people really do uh, get in touch uh, with nature you know when you observe the moon you observe the sun the stars the trees the water the ties the animals this is a sign that these people um, practice what you call naturism okay no it is not a religion it's just it's part of their lives. You know, earth is part of their existence. So how can you separate that and put and divide people and nature as, you know, as a different religion. So these people definitely know how to appreciate it in a whole new levels here. So, uh, the other things that they do is they make a, like I said, the hanging lanterns, Um, they make all kinds of beautiful lanterns. They use, um, paper, some put, um, like a candlelight and, and it just kind of flow in the sky and they make wishes and things like that. Okay. Um, and of course the type, the colors, the shapes all depends on where you are from. And you know, they, they definitely get really creative. Uh, to decorate the um, the lanterns. And they use bamboo um, papers or sticks because it's very light and uh, I've done it before. And it's just, again, it's a family affair for sure to make it. Um, the fire dragon dance, it's very, very interesting if, if you never seen one and it's um, very popular in Hong Kong. Uh, from the 14th day of 8th lunar month, it's held in Tai Hung area of Causeway Bay for three consecutive nights. The fire dragon is made of pearl grass which consists of 32 sections and being more than 7 meter long in the whole. The fire dragon is inserted with longevity incense. On the the event, the undulating fire dragon dance under the light together with drum music that makes the street in in the street of busy people and it's very lively and it's again noisy and crazy and we'll go more into detail that later so the other thing is they there's a story about the uh, lord the rabbit so i'm just gonna briefly tell you about that story so this is dated back at the end of the ming dynasty okay in the um Qing Dynasty, the Lord Rabbit became the mid-autumn festival game for children and is made of mud with human body but a rabbit head. It's either sitting or standing and riding the beast. Among the mid-summer, the mid-autumn festival tradition of Beijing worshiping the Lord Rabbit is actually more like a game, so it's called Play the Lord Rabbit, okay? So again, they get really creative and um, I tell you the story of how the bunny, the rabbit comes about. Okay. So again, the um, nine appreciating Osmanthus in full bloom during this time when they have the wine with a family. And um, so they do appreciate smelling, looking at it and also tasting the wine. So the other thing that's interesting is depending of course, when you, where you are and eating a snail. Yes, it's like escargot. Now, don't freak out. This is not your garden snail. Their shells are much harder. And this is um, the snail that they gather from rice field. So you can imagine uh, the rice field is, you know, it's well taken care of. It's not like, you know, just any farming. They really do take care and organize the bed of their rice field. So, you know, sometimes they they, they get these, um, in the French, if you want to be fancy, it's escargot, they're a snail. And they fry them in garlic and the spices, you know, and uh, they eat that during the festival. Okay, so for those who never had escargot, they, you can't just suck on it, it doesn't really work. Uh, you do use um, toothpick, that really helps. And you just kind of, you know, poke on it and then gently bring the whole thing out. Okay. Now in France, um, they do eat escargot, but they um, basically kind of like put it in with the grass so the escargot would eat that and spit out whatever the the not yummy stuff and that's how they clean them out and then you know they would saute in garlic, wine and butter and that's how they cook it but in China it's um, they add a little bit spice depending again where you are at. So Southeast Asian people also practice this, the uh, snails. Okay, so number 12 is lay up the pagoda lamb. So the pagoda lamb is a little bit different, right? Cause it's, it's, I'm sure it's a lot bigger. And um, it's much more simple, um, popular in Southern China. It's usually piled up with uh, rubbles collected by children and the villager in Su uh, Shu uh, used the tiles to form seven level pagoda in the wild and made bright lamps surrounding it. So children in Guangzhou light up the tower lamp made of broken tiles. That was kind of fun. And the other things they do is uh, burn incense in the gauge box. So people would burn incense in a gauge box at night and um, in Jiangsu and the gauge box is Pasted with velvet on the surface, and the moon palace is painted on the um, the velvet as well, and the the gauge box made of incense with colorful flags inserted in it. So they burn the incense, showing joy, solemnity, and you know, and prayers for safety and good fortune. Okay. Uh, Number 14. Steel Vegetable It is popular in mid-autumn festival tradition in Hunan. Again, this is more the tropical weather people uh, near the uh, ocean. According to legend, the fairies on the moon descend to the mortal world to sprinkle nectars on the earth on the mid-autumn festival. The fairy nectars are for everyone. So people can share the fruits and vegetables sprinkled with nectars together this night. In Taiwan, if if an unmarried girl successfully steal onions and all the vegetable from other people's garden on the night of mid-autumn festival, it is said she will have a perfect husband in the future. Wow, so I can imagine during this time where, you know, there's going to be people stealing your vegetable. so I'm pretty sure there's joke talk about that. Number fifteen, hear words for divination. It is in uh, during this time tradition in ancient time that girls wanted to have good marriage. She burns incense stick, made a wish and asked the gods to tell her the direction she should go to hear words. Walking towards the direction given by gods, she would remember the first words she heard by accident or overheard and went home to define their meaning. If the words she heard were about eating sweet cakes, flowers in the bloom, or the full moon, it has meant a good fortune on marriage. Number 16. Throw a handkerchief to select bridegroom. This is a romantic mid-autumn festival tradition. In some area of Fujian province, a colorful stage is set up at the night of mid-autumn festival which is decorated like a moon palace. Some unmarried girls would put on mid-autumn festival clothing and dress as a Chang'e, the fairy living in the moon palace. Each girl has two same handkerchiefs and they would throw one to the audiences. If a guy not um, got a handkerchief, he would be allowed to go on to the stage to return it. If the two with the same handkerchief, Like each other, they can make friends, even get married later. Boy, that's a great way to do um, matching. 17. Send melons to wish the receiver a baby. In Hengyun, Hunan Province, anyone who has been married with no children would receive melons sent by neighbors on the Mid-Autumn Festival. It is said that if the wife eats the melon, she will be pregnant soon. But in ancient time, they stole the melon in advance to have a series of ritual, then sent the melon to the relatives who had no children on the festival. Well, I can imagine. So the watermelon is full of water and you can definitely put, um, it can retain a lot of verbal. Coats during the rituals that they perform. I could see that how, and also the shape of the melon, you know, it's like shape of the moon that can retain the um, fertility codes, I would say, with all the well wishes and uh, given to the, the couples that do not have children. And by the way, having children doesn't not take the wife. It takes actually both parties to make that happen because the spirit has to come through. Okay, 18. Pray for a good marriage and bathe in the moonlight. In the old days, the single girl and boys would kindle the incense, inst, um, stick, incense stick and candles to pray to the moon god for good marriage at the midnight of mid-autumn festival. It is also said that the moonlight, um, the moonlight night can bring married woman good luck. Therefore, in some areas, there is a tradition that married women who have been childless for a long time should go out to bathe in the moonlight on the festival night. Well, I could see why the local people would practice this because, you know, the, the, earth, the earth-moon connection and the moon um, works a lot with the fertility which involves a lot of water because water involves creation and to uh, help propagate you know the fertility. Now that's 18 popular mid-autumn festival tradition. Six most well-known legends about mid-autumn festival, that's the moon festival The first one is Chang'e, flying to the moon. Chang'e is a woman, by the way. Flying to the moon is the most widely told mid-autumn festival legend. It is said that in ancient times, 10 suns existed in the sky and the extreme heat made people's lives very difficult. It was the hero, Hu Yi. Hu, using his great strength, shot down nine of the ten sons. Later, Hu Yi married a beautiful and kind-hearted woman named Chang'e and lived a happy life. One day, the Queen of Heaven presented Hu Yi, an elixir, which if took would help him to ascend immediately to heaven and become a god. Hu Yi took it home and asked Chang'e to keep it. Unfortunately, a villain named um, Peng Peng Meng got to know this. Broke into their home and demanded Chang'e hand over the elixir. While Hou Yi was out hunting, in a moment of desperation, Chang'e swallowed the elixir, reluctant to live. Her husband Chang'e tried her best to fly to the moon, the nearest place to the earth in heaven. Hu Yi missed each Chang'e a lot, so on the Day of the full moon, he placed the table's uh, food that E liked. This custom was later followed by folk people praying to the goddess E for good luck and gradually formed the Mid-Autumn Festival. Second, The Rabbit in the Moon Story. In the Mid-Autumn Festival, rabbit story goes about the three immortals reincarnated themselves into three poor people and begged food from a fox a monkey and a rabbit the fox and monkey both gave food to the immortals however the rabbit did not have any food it then said to the immortals you can eat me and jump into the fire the immortals were so moved by the rabbit and sent it to the moon to become an immortal Jade Rabbit. Ever since then, the Chinese Jade Rabbit stays in the Moon Palace to accompany Zheng E and compound immortal medicine for those living in the heaven. This is the Rabbit in the Moon legend, also known as Jade Rabbit stories, so if you need to have some good luck charm, then you can have the jade rabbit, like a jewelry that you can carry on, on you. So it's very cute too, to have around. So number three, Wu Gang Chops the Tree. This is another well-known mid-autumn festival legend happening on the moon. So long time ago, there was a man from uh, Chi, Qi He of Han Dynasty, that's around 202 BC to 220 AD. And he once followed the immortal to develop himself and became an immortal too, however, when in heaven he made a mistake and was banished to the moon to chop the rural tree. The, ro- the rural tree growing in front of the moon palace was very flourishing and tall. Each time Wu Gang chopped the tree, it grew back immediately. This happened again and again and again and the tree was never to be able to cut down. The endless, arduous hard job was a punishment for Wu Gang. If you look carefully at the moon in clear nights you can see a black shadow on it which is said to be Wu Gang chopping down his laurel tree. Number four Li. Luan-ji roaming on the Moon Palace. According to the Chinese Mid-Autumn Festival legend, Li Luangji, an emperor of Tang Dynasty, around 618 to 907 AD, a Tao's master and a Tao's priest were appreciating the Moon in the Mid-Autumn Festival. Suddenly, Li Luangji raised the thought of visiting the Moon Palace So the three men flew up to the moon by clouds and planned to roam in the moon palace. However, there were guards in front of the palace and they were unable to enter. But at this moment, Li Luangji heard a song sung by the fairies which was pleasant, lovely and moving. So, he was good as a musician, so he remembered the melody deeply in his heart. After going back, he recalled the melody and composed a song which is still famously played today. It's called the Melody of White Feathers Garment. You can find that on YouTube as well. It is just absolutely a beautiful piece, especially when it's played with a pipa or maybe a gu Okay, number five. Dao Chun, Worshipping the Moon. Dao was a singer living in Minister Wang Yan in the late Han Dynasty. That's around 202 220 AD. She was extremely beautiful and charming. Seeing the royal court was manipulated by the traitor ministry Dong Zhu, she worshipped the moon and prayed for peace in the midnight. If you know anything about this minister, he's um, he wasn't quite smart, but of course, every one of them always has scheming um, plans to overtake. You know, the um, the emperor court. Of course, he killed his own general, so who basically, you know, will f- follow him to the edge of the earth, but he had him killed. So unfortunately. So this is the time where uh, the Three Kingdom was trying to be uh, uh, united. Okay, so you can see the, 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 um, the trauma of the people during this era, just war, war, war. Okay, so um, Chang'e, the beautiful goddess living on the moon, felt the inferior of her beauty and then hidden behind the cloud. Since then, Dao Chang was widely known for her beauty even superior than the goddess Chang'e. So a beauty contest. Okay, so number six, the last legend, uh, Zhu Zhuangzhen and the moon cake uprising. Oh, you guys will like this. Have you ever heard any um, cakes that created a, a history, a riot in the political scene? Well, yes, only in the Far East, in China, of course. So um, in the mid-autumn festival legend, and this is really, it really did happen during the late Yuan dynasty. Okay, if you know anything about the Yuan dynasty, that's the Mongolian. So um, this is about 1271 to, to 1368 AD. Okay, this is way after the uh, Tang Dynasty. So you will see the the spelling as T A N G, or you call it Tang Dynasty, but it it's pronounced Thung, um, Deng Dynasty. Okay, so people in many parts of the country would just can't bear the cruel of the government, and so they rose in revolt. Zhu Zhuang Zhen, founder of Ming Dynasty around 1368 to 1644 AD, united the different resistance forces and wanted to organize an uprising. However, due to strict search by the government, it was very difficult to pass messages. So the Council Liu Bowen later thought of a great idea to hiding the notes with uprising on the night of mid-autumn Day in mooncakes and had them sent to different resistant forces. The uprising turned to be a very successful, and Zhu was so happy that he awarded his subject with mooncakes on the following mid-autumn festival. Since then, eating mooncake has been a custom on this festival. 3,000 years timeline of mooncake history from its origin, Tashi cake. Mooncake history in China it can be dated back to over 3,000 years. The predecessor of mooncake is Tashi cake in the Shang Dynasty of 17th century BC to 1046 BC and Zhu Dynasty 17 century BC to 256 BC. For a long time in history, mooncake were used as a sacrifice on the mid-autumn festival. Again, I don't think it's necessary sacrifice, but more um, uh, an offering. It is said that the custom of eating mooncake in the mid-autumn festival began in the Tang Dynasty. In the Northern Song Dynasty, it became Poplin Royal Palace. In the late Yuan Dynasty as well, it has been spread widely to the folks in the Ming and uh, Qing Dynasty. And it has become a common dietary habit of the Chinese people till today. So let's take a look at the origin of the Moon King. According to the historical records, in Shang and Zhu Dynasty, in China, there were Tashi cake in Jiangsu in and Zijian province. At that time, Tashi cake were made to commemorate Wing Zong, who invented the cake, which was thin in edge and thick in the middle. It is predecessor of the moon cake in China. So the other version that they have in Hong Dynasty is, um, Zheng Quan who was sent in diplomatic mission to the western of China, introduces the sesame seed and the walnut from the west. Then the sesame seed and walnut were used as a filling for the moon cake, and they call it the Hu Cake at that time. Okay, so the round cakes eaten at mid-autumn festival since Tang Dynasty. In the Tang Dynasty, the Emperor Li Shimin. Ordered a general call, Li Jin to lead the troops to conquer the Turks, a nationality in the north. On the sevente on the seventh on the fifteenth day, the eighth lunar month, Li Jin returned triumphantly. Li Sim celebrated the triumph of Li Jian and the troops. There was a traitor trader from Tibet offer some round cakes to Li Ximin to congratulate victory. So Li Ximin was very happy to receive this gift and introduce the round cakes to his faithful subjects. After that, the round cakes became popular both in palace and amongst the folks. People ate the round cake on the 15th day of the eighth lunar month. In moon cake history, um, the concubine um, Yang Yuhuan of the later Tung Emperor Li Longji, Luangji, it is said that Yang Hu named the round cake as moon cake. So that's where the name came from. Okay, so it's interesting because during this time, it's really significant if you look at astrologically uh, and the planetary alignment. Right now is uh, September 30th, and you can see there's six planets aligning with us right now, and Moon is being one of them. And the power of the Moon energy is coming exceptionally very strong, particularly if you already have an ancestor that have a significant DNA imprint with the Moon um, history you know, so that means, yes, you live, you practice this culture, then it will definitely be written in your DNA. Okay, so the connection, the Chinese people connecting to the moon planet uh, is very significant. And particularly this will um, predict the outcome and also talk about the the populations and the earth geomagnetic field that's going to have, have effect on the depopulation agenda as well. So people who are connected to the moon energy will be able to reproduce and have children versus the races that are not, okay? So heads up on that. It is important to understand the ability and the culture that develop around certain planet system for the energy for procreation. Okay. Court cakes prevail in Song Dynasty. That's around 960 to 1279 AD in Northern Song Song. It's spelled S O N G like Song, but it's Song Dynasty. And I apologize ahead if I'm mispronouncing it in Chinese. So, okay. Um, the moon cake was actually called court cake emperor court, and was not only popular in the palace, but also the folklore. Later, people gave its meaning as a reunion, reflecting the good wishes for family reunion and also deep myths of friends. The written record of the characters Mooncake were first seen in the book of the Southern Song Dynasty. And if you know anything about Chinese uh, history, Song Dynasty followed the Deng Dynasty, okay? That's your Tang Dynasty that you would... See the writing, as in English, which is important textual evidence in mooncake history. Again, if you never had a mooncake, it is it is simple but exceptionally decadent, decadent cake. It's very rich, it's beautiful, delicate, and it's so delicious. And my favorite is having tea with it. And I've yet to experiment with osmanthus. Wine with that. Okay, so mooncake uprising. Okay, you already uh, know about the uprising. Um, how? That's during the Yuan Dynasty. So follow that. Then you have the Ming Dynasty. Okay, it got more popular later on in 1368 to 1644 uh, AD. There's a detailed record of mooncake from the Ming Dynasty. Okay. And again it celebrate same thing, family reunion, eating moon cake, you know. They made records of this, folks. You know, so these people, um, race are exceptionally intellect very intellectual um, beings because they have the capability and understanding to make sure that they uh, record things um, from the objective point of view rather than just subjective and they make record of things as if in from a scientific perspective, okay? Uh, homemade moon cake are essential during this um, Qing, Qing, Qing dynasty. Um, that's around 1644 to 1911 AD. Um, again, documented, very well documented about this. And it is homemade. They even have books that teach people how to make this moon cake basically simple flour nuts sugar lard. they use lards back in those days you know it's not like um they use butter okay so um today in the 21st century moon cake gets to be again exceptionally extravagant and it gets exceptionally very expensive as well so i do hope that you get to enjoy this luxurious, extravagant moon cake and enjoy it with your loved ones, friends, family, and be sure to have a beautiful, lovely tea ceremony to go with that and uh, tea, um wine as well. So I do hope that you enjoy. Custom of Ethnic Minorities on Mid-Autumn Festival The ethnic minorities in China celebrate the mid-autumn festival like the Han Chinese. While some offer sacrifices to the moon, appreciate the moon, and eat mooncakes, others celebrate the occasion in their own ways. The Dai nationality is one of the ethnic minorities that make offerings to the moon. They include games like Uh, pheasants, fish, and round glutinous rice cake. The whole family worship the moon to devotion after which they enjoy delicious food and appreciate the bright moon. The most typical mid-autumn festival custom of Zhuang nationality, on the other hand, is the invitation of the goddess from heaven on that particular night. A sacrificial table is set at the edge of the village or in an open place, where offerings and burning of incense are made. A bamboo or a tree branch about 13 inches is placed on the right side of the table where the goddess is supposed to descend to earth and return to heaven. There are four stages to the activity. So during this time, this is where one of the two women will play the part, the goddess, and they will have, um, you know, invite to descend to the earth, then they singing, between the humans and the goddess and also divination and fortune telling by the goddess and finally sending the goddess back to heaven. Um, the other ethnic, I wouldn't, that's not ethnic group, but these are the Mongolian. Um, the um, What they do during the moon festival is um, they would ride horses in the moonlight all the way to the west where the moon set. It is called chasing the moon, and they do not stop until the moon set on the horizon. Now, in Tibet, celebrate the festival by seeking the moon along the river, or more specifically, the moon's reflection. On the night, young men, women, and children try to seek the moon's reflection around their houses before eating their moon cake. Okay, in the, uh, Miao people play La Shen, a ripe pipe, a reed pipe wind instrument. They sing and dance in the moonlight. The single try to seek their loved ones to express their feelings, which is as pure as the moonlight. Um, the Dian ethnic minority has a mid autumn festival custom, um, Somehow, similar to the Miao people, they also play musical instruments. Um, the young men, women, they always express their loves to their particular interests, and some will get engaged, you know, or they'll send each other betel nuts and tea, things like that. If you don't know what the uh, um, betel nuts, they call it betel nuts. This is where um, they, they would chew it and you actually uh, add some kind of clay to go with it and some kind of minerals clay. And it, it does darken your teeth, unfortunately. And, uh, somehow it gives them a a high yes. Like cycle active high, but nothing to drive you crazy. Uh, this is just what uh, a lot of times the older folks do that. It's not very popular for the young generation because it darkens their teeth. But I have to admit it, it does, you know, clean out any cavity that you have. <laughs> um, the Xie people, a branch of the Yi ethnic minority, gather together in open place and dance the night away. The most exciting part is the love song that are sang in antiphonal style by young women and men. Even the moon is touched by their expression. Okay, in the Orang organ, people worship the moon by offering sacrifices and placing a basin of water in front of the offering the two people all two that's tu spell has uh, water in the basin but they beat the moon's reflection so it's called beating the moon okay so um the other tradition um by the Hezen people uh, is this is the time when they harvest grapes is said to commemorate a smart and hardworking woman who ran to the moon because she could not bear the abuse of her mother-in-law so we know that story before <laughs> so anyway um these are just you know some uh, different ethnic tribes in uh, China that practice this and if you go to Um, other parts of Asia, they do have something very, very similar to that. It just, you know, slightly different. Um, but the concept is the same. And that is the mid autumn festival is about longing to be together. And that's why the Chang'e story, um, of her husband who longing because he misses his wife uh, so much when she flew to the moon and, you know, he, he gets angry and he just mortified how much he loves her and misses her So And so during this time is where people celebrate, you know, appreciate each other, loving each other, where a couple gets together, you know, marriage is secured. Um, couples have uh, well, good wishes, intentions, and, you know, offerings, and the blessings of new babies in the family. And of course, don't forget, the red envelope is very important too. And uh, so if you ever, if you never experience the moon festival, I recommend that you do have opportunity to do that. And it's a time for you to dress up too and enjoy a company of your loved ones. Chu Khoi or the man in the moon. This is a traditional Vietnamese story about the man in the moon. Long time ago, in a tiny bamboo hut besides the jungle, there lived a poor woodcutter named Zhu He had lived every day of his life cutting small trees in the woods and gathering dry stick to sell as few in the market. He then would tie the woods and stick up in bundles and carry them home with a long wooden poles he uses to hold the bundles on both ends, which he would balance on his shoulder. Because Chu is poor and had no money to buy himself an ox and wood cart, he carries the bundles all the way to town and to the market by himself. One morning as he was gathering stick in the woods, he spotted three tigers playing along, among each other. He, took, he looked around and learned that the three cubs were left behind, alone, by their mothers to hunt for food. Desperate to make some money to buy himself an ox, Chu planned on catching one of the cubs and sell it to the market. Slowly, he laid down his bundle of stick and creeped behind the fallen log. While waiting for the chance to grab one of the playing cubs, the youngest one accidentally rolled right next to him. Quickly, Chu grabbed it and by the back of its neck, careful not to be bitten and scratched as the cub kept on squirming. The two other cubs saw what happened to their brother and and scampered away in fear. Thinking it was safe to go, Jiu started to head out of the jungle, but before he was even able to take a few steps, he heard a great, loud roar from behind. Then Zhu Guai turned around. He was startled to see the mother tiger. As quickly as he can, Zhu Guai climbed the closest tree he could find, still with a cub in his hands. But as he was making his way up to the tree, the cub managed to struggle free from his gasp, fell and landed hard on the ground. From atop, Zhu Guai watched as the mother tiger As she approached the old twisted bayan tree growing near a bubbling stream. She tore off a few leaves from the tree, chewed them up, and placed the leaves on the cub's head. To his amazement, the baby tiger jumped off his feet and started playing with his brothers as if nothing had happened. The mother then led her cub to the deer she hunted earlier, and everyone went to eat it. Then the tiger left. Then the tigers left. Chu came down from the tree. Because of the curiosity, he went to the ancient bayan tree, plucked few leaves and smelled them. He found that they don't smell any different from any other bayan leaves. So he thought that the cub may have just been stunned and that the bind leaves had nothing to do with its quick recovery. Still, a little curious, he placed some of the leaves in his pocket so he could study them closer when he gets home. Chu then gathered his axe and headed out of the woods. On the way to his hut, he noticed dead dog lying on the side of the road. He recognized the dog as belonging to his fellow woodcutter's son and grew concerned on how the boy might feel when he finds his dog dead. Recalling what the mother tiger did to her cub, he chewed some of the bayan leaves he had in his pocket and placed them on the dog's head. To his surprise, the dog bounced back to his feet, licked Chugui's hand, and ran down the road. Realizing he had discovered an enchanted tree, Guai became very excited and went home as quickly as he could. He gathered his digging tr- tools and hurried back to the stream in the jungle where the bayan is. He dug the tree and brought it home where he re- replanted, watered it until it flourished and grew strong. Weeks had passed and the tet was nearing chu prepared to set off to town bringing bundles of wood tree branches with delicate pink peach blossom and some bright yellow haomai flowers hoping to sell them hoping to sell them in the market as people are busy making preparation for the lunar new year celebration for him this is one of his favorite times of the year as people are all friendly and joyful finally he reached town but instead of finding cheerful faces and busy street full of children playing expected every festive season the street were silent and were filled with sad faces curious to know what's going on he approached an old man told him about the daughter of the great Lord from the East who owns most of the land in their region. She is known for her great beauty and special love for flower and nature. Now she lies ill on her bed, and though everything was done, none of her family riches can make her well, and they fear she won't be able to live long. Then Chiu Guai heard the awful news. He was greatly saddened, but then he remembered he had stuck a few leaves of magical trees in his pocket. Ever since, he had learned of its power. He had always carried a few leaves within him to help wounded animals, a sick friend or to cure his cut while chopping woods. He believed his Bayan leaves can cure the Lord's beautiful daughter. So Zhu laid down his stick and flowers and headed to the east towards the lord's castle. It was a long journey, and it took him a whole day to reach the east. He also walked the stairs towards the castle gates, and then he finally reached the top. It was tired and covered with dust. Then the guards saw a man with dirty bare feet and ragged clothes standing outside. They were not pleased. Thinking he's a beggar, they refused to let him enter. But Chugwai did not leave. Instead he tried to convince them that he could cure the Lord's daughter. With that, when the guards pushed the tired and weak Chugui to the step, which caused him to cut his foot. But then the guards saw how Chugwai took some bayan leaves out of his pocket, chewed them and placed them on his foot. They were surprised to see how quickly his wound healed. They then realized that Chu Guai was telling the truth, and they hurriedly led him to the chamber of the Lord's Daughter where she lies. From the moment of Chu saw Ngu tian he was so taken by her beauty, but he noticed how pale she was and how she is growing weaker by the minute. Not wasting any time, he took the very last of the bind leaves from his pocket, broke them into pieces, and gently placed them on the beautiful girl's tongue. In just a moment, the pale cheeks started to turn red, and she began to open her eyes. Grateful for saving his daughter's life, the Lord gave Nuet Tian's hand to Chiu Guai for marriage, and offered him some of his lands and rich, riches. Using the gold of the Lord's hand given to him as gift, Chu started to build a nice home for his new bride. He decided to build it at the very spot where his bamboo hut stood, but making sure he does not disturb the bayan tree. After some time, the house was ready. He then took Nuetien, his beautiful bride, home with him. Day by day, their affection for each other grew deeper they were both happy with their new home and live a peaceful and happy life. As Tien is always fascinated with nature, she decided to plant her favorite flower around the house. Chukwai agreed, but told her never to plant around the bayan tree. Months have passed. Their beautiful house flourished with the loveliest flower Tien had planted. One day when Chugui was out walking in the woods, Nuetian was some pretty dandelions she wanted to plant, and the whole yard is already filled with blooming flower. She had nowhere to plant it except around the bayin tree. Thinking her husband would understand as long as she ha- doesn't hurt the tree, she carefully dug around the bayin to plant the dandelions. But her shovel slipped and accidentally cut one the root of the bayan. To her surprise, the tree groaned loudly in pain, which made her jump back and scream from fear. The tree which was in pain swayed its body from side to side, pulling its root one after another, and started climbing into the evening sky where a full moon was rising. Chu Guai heard his wife scream from afar and started running back from the jungle, but just before he reached his house, he saw his precious tree pulling its last root from the ground. He quickly grabbed the root and tried to pull the tree back, but the banyan tree was too strong for Chu Guai and continued to climb up the sky as the young man continued to cling to its roots. As the tree continued to soar upward, Chu still holding on to it, looked below and saw his crying wife looking further and further as the courtyard and his house looked smaller and smaller. He then saw the whole village appearing like cluster of dots as the tree went up and up, past the sky, the stars, and eventually stopped when they reached the moon. Then the bine tree sank its root into the gentle, glistering moon dust. There, the tree stayed and settled. Years and decades have passed. Chu Guai continued to sit under the bind tree, looking below the earth, constantly wondering how to get home. Up to this day, every time someone looked up the moon, they could see a tiny figure of a man sitting under a tree, playing the flute. Sadly, it is Zhu Guai, still counting the days and years as they pass by, wondering if he would ever get back to Earth and forever longing for his wife Tian. Cheng Xi is a Chinese lunar goddess worshipped in the traditional Chinese pantheon, known from ancient times. The earliest historical information on Chang can be traced back to the classical mountain and seas. She is the wife of Di Zhen and the mother of 12 moons. The earliest known mention of shang is made in the mythic text, the Canon of the Mountain and Seas, romanized as Shanghai Qing, a single line in its read, the Emperor Zheng married Chang who gave birth to the twelve moons. The god of the eastern sky, Di Jun, had twelve wives, including Chang Qi, who was regarded as his first wife, Chi she her Western counterpart, while Qing her she her gave birth to sons. That's not male sun, this is the pl- the um planet sun. She He bore twelve unique moon daughters that would completely a full journey across the heavens every day. She bathed her children in a water pool described as an important early goddess and her significant among the deities gradually waned and she would eventually demoted to a minor position. Together she she her and Changxi are a representation of Yin and the Yan symbol that you know of today. And their their 10 suns and her 12 moons um, represent in Chinese solar and lunar calendar, respectively. Um, Changhi is often confused with fellow lunar goddess uh, Chang'e. So there are differences. So this in the canon of the mountain and seas is actually much older than Chang'e story in itself. The rhythmic sound of drumming echoes through the street. Tai Heng is normally quiet on the weeknight but tonight is filled with people. In an alley near the Chinese recreation club on the edge of the neighborhood in Hong Kong, a creature waits in the dark. With a body of rope and a head crafted from a retin and metal, it's a dragon, and it lies sleep on the ground for now. Soon a man stepped forward with three lit joystick other men get into position around the beast. After bowing three times in each direction, saying an incantation over the dragon's head, the man places the smothering incense stick into the dragon's head. The drum beats grow frenzy as the dragon's head flies into the air, hoisted up by the strongest man on the team. The body rises, the dragon surveys the scene and shoots off above the crowd, winning its way through the street of Tai towards Ling Fa Kung Temple. The crowd chases after it, trying to keep up. This is the fire dragon, which appears every year during the mid autumn festival a very important time for the Chinese. At its heart, it is a harvest festival around the time of autumn equinox, celebrated on the 15th day of the eighth lunar month, a festival center on the full moon. A festival's origin can be traced back to the Shang dynasty. That's around 1600 to 1046 BC before Christ. The simple act of thanking the gods for bountiful harvests is an ancient and universal concept and is exactly what the original form of mid-autumn festival entail. During the Tang Dynasty, a festival became more popular and moon gazing started to become an important feature of the celebration. At first, the emphasis was on gathering the family together and admiring the moon as it was a mystery and profound cosmic phenomenon. Ancient Chinese people believed that the moon was a source of life for plant, so the association of the harvest festival and the moon was obvious. Traditionally, only women worshiped the moon as their monthly cycles were linked to its phases. As the festival continued to develop, a universal form of moon worship began to merge into the rituals. One particular moon deity, the ancient goddess Chang'e, has become the most important over the centuries. The goddess has been in the Chinese pantheon since at least the Qian dynasty. That's around 27 to 1600 years. BC. But the myth of the goddess creation that was passed from generation to generation developed with each telling. There was a few variations, but the standard one is known by most Chinese people and has become associated with Mid-Autumn Festival as, as it is told to children by their parents and grandparents as they sit under the moon. Once there were ten suns in the sky, represented by three-legged crows. These sunbirds were the children of the god Jun. and were meant to, ter- to take turn to circle the earth each day. The sun became disobedient and started to fly around the world all at once. The land was scorched and could not sustain crops. Chan sent for the famous archer, Yin to solve the problem. Yi, I'm sorry, Huiyi, shot down nine of them, leaving just one son. As a reward, he was granted the elixir of immortality, but refused to take it, as he would have to ascend to heaven and leave his beloved wise Chang'e. Yi left the elixir in her care, but one day, Chang'e was forced to drink it to stop it falling into the hands of the robber. As she ascended to heaven, she chose the moon as her adobe in order to be a cl- as close as possible to her husband because the moon is closest to the earth. Her devastated husband would not put Chang'e's favorite fruit and cakes out. He would then put these of uh, you know, her favorite fruit and cakes out um, under the moonlight as a sacrifice offering to her each day. This is how he would treat her when he misses her during this time. So Hu Yi's act of devotion is immolated by the laying out of fruits such as peaches, pomegranate, and pomelo on the Makeshift altar in the courtyard of the home, in modern Hong Kong, a balcony serves the purpose. The offering and eating of mooncake is the most well-known tradition. Legend ascribes their origin to the Emperor Taizong of Tang being giving them as a memorial to a victory over the Western Xiongnu nomadic people on the fifteenth day of the eighth lunar month, as this was the mid. Autumn Festival, he dedicated them to the moon. Historically, they were more likely popularized during the later Song Dynasty. The osmanthus flower is also associated with the festival as it was believed to grow on the moon. The legend says that it is perpetually harvested by Wu Gang, a mysterious figure from Tao's folklore, as a punishment for his misdeed osmanthus is used in candies, cassia wine, they're consumed during this mid-autumn celebration. Lanterns, an iconic part of the mid-autumn celebration, are also Tung Dynasty addition to the festival. Their precise connection is unclear, but they symbolize fertility and are intrinsically linked to the festival, Embodying it as strongly as mooncake, during the Qing Dynasty. That's Qing Dynasty. Fishermen in Hong Kong put lantern on their boats during Ghost Months to help guide spirit of drowned people. They would keep the lantern on their boats until beginning of Mid-Autumn Festival. Water is still important in Hong Kong, and many families and friends gather on public beaches with fish and pomegranate-shaped lanterns to spend time together and watch the full moon rise. The most iconic of the mid-autumn event in Hong Kong is the Tai Hung Fire Dragon Dance. Tai Hung is now a neighborhood that adjoins Causeway Bay, it, but it's now once a Hakka fishing village. There is a temple, the grandest building of that temple is called Li Fang Kang. It's it's dedicated to the goddess of mercy, Guan Yan. Uh, No, it's uh, Guan Yan, that's how they call it, built in 1863. These days, Tai is quickly uh, gentrifying destination for eating and drinking. So they, we're, we're missing out on the old ways here. Okay, so in 1880, a typhoon hit Hong Kong and caused uh, severe damage just before the mid-autumn festival. During the storm, a python entered Tai Hung, causing problems for the villagers. The resident caught and killed the snake. The next day, its body disappeared and people in Taihang began to fall ill from the mysterious plague. A village elder had a dream in which the Buddha told him that the python was son of the dragon king Luang Wong. The elder was instructed to organize a three-day fire dragon dance to atone for the killing and abate the anger of the dragon king the villagers constructed the dragon and performed the three-day dance. With much of incense burning and firecrackers, the sulfur in the incense drove away the disease, and the dragon king was appeased by display that honored him. The dance has been performed every year since then, with two exceptions. Japanese occupation in 1941-1945 to 1945 and 1967 leftist riot. The Hakka village or Poku lam also claimed to be part of the story and its villagers say that the snake actually appeared there rather than in Taihung. Whatever the truth may be, Fokulam has immolated Taihung Dragon Dance for several decades. With the cork that several small dragons accompany the small fire dragon back to its home to the sea. So it is possible, folks, that it could have happened in both, because that's where they're from. As the dragons prepare to its healing journey to Taihang, onlookers pack into the cordon off street. There's hardly any room to move a muscle. The anticipation is tangible. Everyone is waiting for the coming beast police officer watch over the crowd, keeping everyone at bay behind police tape and rope cordons. The main street of the village Wang Sha street is almost impossible to reach, So most people wait the dragon along the other parts of his traditional route. So this is how the fire dragon is being portrayed through the street in Hong Kong. It is a mixture of amazing gods, myth, mythical creatures, such as the dragon that we all have to live together. And by doing a sacred ceremony to appease the gods during the mid-autumn festival. So I hope you enjoy this story, and enjoy eating the moon cake, and don't go out offending any gods. Lunar traditions of the first Australians. The moon's movement and light informs knowledge of the land and harvest across the continent. In Nguyenong tradition of Bruni Island, Tasmania, the sun is a man named Win and the moon is his wife, Vena. In the beginning, they travel from horizon to horizon together, creating life on Earth before setting into the sea each night. but. Puniwen traveled too fast and Venna fell behind and rested on iceberg, even though Puniwen produced more and more light to encourage her to catch up. Tasmania was pushed away from the mainland and gradually rose from the sea to become the island we know today. These traditions describe how moonlight is reflected sunlight and speak back to the time when Tasmania was formed by rising sea at the end of the Ice Age over 10,000 years ago. The moon and its face feature in many dreaming stories across Australia describing the intangible relationship between moon, sun, and earth. The Nui the Nome tradition of the moon woman are an example of of astronomical observation embedded within culture. For many other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders communities, the moon is a powerful man often associated with fertility. This association links the moon's monthly waxing and waning to be the female fertility cycle. In some nations, looking at a full moon was thought to cause women to fall, to fall pregnant. In others, people warned that it could lead to infertility or even death. Knowledge associated with the moon comes in many forms, encapsulating law and lord within a web of practical knowledge connecting land and sky, predicting weather and seasons, tracking time and informing ceremonies, and navigation are some of the many indigenous uses of the moon. Time and Tide. The Yogu people East Arhem land Record the moon's connection to Earth and its effect on the tides. They teach that the moon fills up and empties as it passes the horizon. The tides are high when the satellite is full or new as it's setting or rising. Conversely, the tides are low when it's near zenith, that's high in the sky, according to the effects of the moon's gravity on our planet. The moon doesn't have a great deal of surface gravity itself, only about one-sixth when compared to the Earth. But its gravitational tug has an impact on our ocean when it is combined with the gravitational pull of the sun. The Earth's center of mass is drawn by a tidal force creating bulges on either side, making our planet slightly ovate. Like a football. When the sun and the moon are aligned together, we get spring ties. When the two bodies are perpendicular to us, we get neap ties. Miriam Man William Burrell from Eastern Torres Strait teaches that the good time to go fishing is during a quarter moon neap ties occur when the tidal amplitude that's the difference between the high and the low tide are the lowest at this time sand and slit on the seafloor is not churned up as much as the waxing and waning tidal waters making the fish easier to see and catch on the inner of mer m- low tides at quarter moons Keep the fish further out at sea for several hours before the high tide bring them close to shore where they can feed. This is why the tide at quarter moon is called Waring Meg, means hungry tide. It is best to fish on the west side of the island during the first quarter of the moon and the east side of the island during the last quarter. Explaining Eclipses on 26 May this year, the moon will go into a total eclipse, turning the deep blood red color. This is when the moon moves into the shadow of the earth as the three celestial objects fall in nearly perfect line. Sunlight is reflected by the earth's atmosphere and the bluer wavelength of light are scattered, leaving the redder wavelength to illuminate the moon. These transient phenomenon have a variety of meaning to traditional knowledge system. A lunar eclipse is often seen as a warning. In the Western Torres Strait, lunar eclipse is called Murpal Mari Patanu, meaning the ghost has taken the spirit of the moon. Moa artist David Bolson explained that a lunar eclipse foretells the coming of an enemy army. During an eclipse, the people hold a special ceremony, naming the island in the region until the eclipse ends. This tells the people from where the enemy will come. In the Eastern Taurus Strait, a lunar eclipse is called Memnibdi, meaning covered moon, in the Miriam Mur-, Mur language of the Papua if the Papua language of the Eastern Island. Solar eclipses are also well known, despite only occurring from a given location every few hundred years. Cultures across Australia, such as the Yol- Yongu, teach that the eclipse occur when the sun woman and the moon man are in embrace of love. On October 21st, September 1922, astronomers on the coast of South Australia were observing a solar eclipse to test Einstein's general theory of relativity. The local Varangu shared their knowledge of the eclipse with them, explained that it was caused by the hand of a spirit man named Mu Wadi, who covered the earth for the privacy of a sun woman and moon man while they were Guri Ara, that means husband and wife together. The Gej Tokia Moon Dance. In the eastern Torres Strait, the Muriam people passed down a sacred tradition, kar song, among the moon called Gej Tokia. A lyric, the lyrics are in two languages, Mariamur and Kalalaguaya. The Padma Nunga language spoken on Mabuyan Island in the west. The lyrics are Geritonkia Pelapanuka, Kengetonkia means rising, raise, rising over home. In Mariamur, the Melapunga is Mabunga, word referring to the moon. The dancer hold a device in each hand, one showing a full moon and one showing a new moon. A Miriam elder, Alo Tapin, teaches how this song shows the close link between two islands that go back millennium, representing Miriam people watching the moon rise in the east as far as sail back home from Mabunga, which lies 200 kilometers due west of Mir. The song and associate dance was central to the legal battle of the Merman people pursue land uh, for their sea rights. Halo Effects Forecasting the weather is essential for life, gardening, hunting, traveling, or caring for country. First people have developed substantial toolkit for accomplishing this task. These tools are multifaceted and combined to make a more accurate prediction, just like weather forecasting algorithm used by meteorologists. One key indicator that rain is approaching is the appearance of the halo around the moon. In Gemalray tradition, a lunar halo is a sign of rain or bad weather. But how soon it will come depends on different characteristics of the halo. Elder teaches us to count the number of the star within the halo. If few or none are visible, rain is imminent. If you can see several stars in the halo, rain must not come for days. If at all in the Torres Strait, elders say a halo is the moon man building a hut to keep himself dry as rains are coming. Moon halos are a type of transient optical phenomenon in which a large ring appears around the sun or moon. They commonly form when wispy stratus clouds are present. Light passes through the ice crystals suspended in these clouds, which acts like prism. Clouds situated in the upper troposphere, that's approximately 10 kilometers up, where the temperatures are approximately minus 55 Celsius, provide perfect condition for these ice crystals to form. Similarly, if temperatures are low enough, hexagonal ice crystal can generate closer to Earth surface, a phenomenon known as diamond dust. These crystals form in low front, which typically bring rain. If humidity is high, the water will condense and fall as rain. If conditions are dry, it is unlike This is unlikely. Gamerae people observing a hazy halo with no visible star, know the air is humid, signaling impending rain other characteristics observed include the moon's position to the halo, center or off-center. The presence of two halos or other optical phenomenon that signal different atmospheric condition. In the Tuigui Island north of Darwin, the people hold a special yam ceremony towards the end of monsoon season. The Kulama ceremony is a time for initiation yam harvesting, and other important events. It is signaled by the presence of a golden halo around Jabara, the Moon Man. During the ceremony, a special yam is prepared in a careful manner, which takes three days, otherwise it is poisonous. This coincides with the time it takes Jabara to die, then come back to life. Cusp and Condition A crescent is the most common way people visually represent the moon. The crescent moon is caused when the angle between the moon and sun is less than 90 degrees from our point of view. The points of the crescent moon are called cusp. The angle of the cusp in the sky changes throughout the year, and the Torres Strait Islander have long observed the orientation of the moon cusp and work out their relationship to seasonal rainfall. Miriam Elder Sager Pasi teaches that the cusp are pointing straight up, it is the Sager that's the dry season, a very fine weather is coming. At this time, Cumulus clouds are seen in the sky and white caps are visible on the waves as they crested in the w- ripple water. Despite the choppy sea, fine weather will come. However, when the cusps are tilted at an angle, then Sur's clouds are visible and fuzzy region will form around the moon. The water looks calm and mere, flat, but bad weather the wet season is called the Kuki is on the way. So this is what the, um, these Australian and uh, Islanders within this area use the moon to navigate um, in order for them to harvest. And it's a way for them to also communicate with their creator. There is a story about Khonsu in Egypt, the god of the moon. A story tells of Ra, the sun god, had forbidden Nut, the sky goddess, to give birth on the on any of the 360 days of the calendar. In order to help her give birth to her children, Toth, the god of wisdom, played against Khonsu in the game of segnet. Khonsu lost to Toth and then gave away enough moonlight to create five additional days so Newt could give birth to her five children. It was said that before losing, the moonlight was on par with the sunlight. Sometimes Khonsu is depicted as a hawk-headed god. However, he is mostly depicted as a young man with a side hair like a young Egyptian. He was always a god of time. The center of his cult was Teb, which was where he took place in tribe with Amun and moot. Song Kong Su Su was also heavily associated with Toth, who also took part in measurement of time and the moon. Chandra means moon. It is also known as Soma in the Hindu God and is associated with the night, plants and vegetation. He is one of the Navagraha, the nine planets of Hinduism and the uh, Dikpala, the guardian of direction. The word Chandra literally means bright, shining or glittering and is used for the moon in Sanskrit, Hindi, and the Indian and other Indian languages. It is also the name of various other figures in Hindu mythology, including an Asura and a Suryavanshi king. It is also a common Indian name and surname, both male and female. Name variation exists in many South Asian language that originate from Sanskrit. Some of the synonyms of Chandra means Soma, distill. Indu means bright drop. Atirsuta means son of Atri. And Shashin or Shashin marked by hair. Soma. Soma is one of the most common other names used for deity but the earliest use of the word to refer to the moon is a subject of scholarly debate. Some scholars state that the word Soma is occasionally used for the moon in the Veda while other scholars suggest that such usage emerged only in the post Vedic literature. In the Vedas the word Soma is primarily used for an intoxicating plant drink and the deity representing it. In post-Vedic Hindu mythology, Soma is used for Chandra, who is associated with the moon and the plant. The Hindu texts state that the moon is lit and nourished by the sun and that is moon where the divine nectar of immortality resides. In Parunas, Soma is sometimes also used to refer to Vishnu or Shiva as Somatana, Yama, or Kubara. In some Indian texts, Soma is a name of Apsara. Alternatively, it is named by any medical, medicinal concoction, or rice water gruel, or heaven and sky, as well as the name of certain places of pilgrimage. Soma is the root of the word Somavara or Monday in the Hindu Hindu calendar. The word Monday in the Greco-Roman and other Indo-European calendar is also dedicated to the moon. Soma is part of Navagarha in Hindu zodiac system. The role and importance of Navagarha developed over time with various influences. Identifying the moon as its astrological significance occurred as early as Vedic period and was recorded in the Vedas. The earliest work of astrology recorded in India in the Vada-nag-jyotisha which began to be compiled in 14th century BCE. The moon and various classical planets were refer referenced in the atta Veda around one thousand BCE. For those of you who have explored these countries and its culture in India, Tibet, China, Southeast Asia a lot of times the moon god in many different form have been celebrated top gods of the Inyanga people of S- south central africa kati the God of Hedgehogs, Kati spoke through one of his animal avatars to warn the semi-divine hero of Mingdu about some of the Katsi Yemwe Death's trap. Mary, the Moon Goddess, her domain is the moon itself and is composed of alternative hot sandy wasteland and lush blue waters. The Mary sees everything that happens at night and therefore has ties to love making, fertility, sleeping, thrivery, and assassination. She has sent dreams or nightmares as well as poetic messages in those dreams. Visitor to Maori Domain can be left wandering in the hot wasteland or even set on fire by her, depending on the goddess whim. Kasi Yambe, this deity was the major, major majordomo of the river god Mukiti. Kasiyembe duties include the summoning of the river deities, sub-aquatic army, serving as a bodyguard for Mukuti's ritual wife, Iyagura, and attempting to assassinate the semi-divine hero. Mingdu. Mitadi, the spider goddess. She and the creatures who are her subjects entertain the river god Mukiti and his retinue when he was on his way to claim his bride, Iyagura. Musoka, the sister of the river god Mukiti. Musoka ruled over the quiet calm shallow of the long winding river near the village of Tubondo. Her sovereignty over calm waters compared to her brother's command of the rapid and strong flowing water is similar to the way many pantheons feature male deities of the hard rainfall and female deity of soft rainfall. Muksoka would often stretch her serpent form across the river to allow Inangans to use her as an emergency bridge. Kitundukutu, the god of cricket in Inangans myths. The creatures he is the lord of are considered bad omens and supernatural gossip. Crickets hear everything and maliciously pass it all along to Kitundukutu, who is often happy to expose secrets or to deliver bad news. In the Mendo epic, a cricket informs of Ikatanduku that Chief Chemwindo's wife has given birth to a male in spite of evil chief's warning and threat. The cricket gods then spitfully passes the word along to Shemwindo the deadly god who ruled the nightmare dangers of the jungle. All the nocturnal creatures answered to him, as did all of the unholy monsters, like the seven-headed Kimiru. paka is the closest the Nanga pantheon comes to satanic figure. He is always associated with unspeakable acts and with everything vile that can happen to human during the vulnerable hours of darkness. Yemurairi, Yemura the fire, volcano, and earthquake god who was supreme deity of the Nunka Pantheon. He ruled over the largest of the subterranean kingdom and the realms of all the other deities who lived under the earth were his vassal states. Earthquakes and volcano were his weapon just as much as fire itself was. Niyamurairi was not to be trifled with because of the obvious importance of fire for cooking food or light or for metalworking. Significantly, the cocky and irrelevant Mindu never dared challenge Niyamurairi. Kahindo the goddess of good fortune and one's personal luck, also called Kahombo. She was the daughter of Muisai, the god who ruled and land of the dead. Oddly, Kahindo suffered from yawns for a time until she was cured by Mingdo. The goddess lived in her father's subterranean realm and oft often greeted newly arrival arrived souls. Kahindo fell in love with Mindo and helped him survive Muisa's death trap. Yana the bad god because he and the creature he was the lord of lived in a caves and fire god nimurari assigned them to be his forge worker. Yana was an uncle of hero Mindo who was all only semi-divine, until his posthumous elevation of godhood. The bat-god and his subject forged the iron shirt and boots that Mingdu wore in his assault on the village of Tubondo. In addition to that, Yana sent an entire army of bats to aid his nephew in that undertaking. Kubikubi, the gods of the stars, sometimes more generally considered a sky god. Kubi-Kubi was not as powerful as Ninga people, supreme deities. Nimururiri, the fire god, but he was considered to have chiefly authority of the heavens with the gods and goddess of rain, wind, lightning, the sun and the moon to be his cabinet of advisors, just like the advisor who served human chief. In the Mindo epic, Kubi Kubi chaired a council of gods sitting in judgment on the semi divine hero Mindu. Uncle, the generous God who provided life and created children in the womb. Uncle also controlled the growth of those children all the way through life. Uncle was one of the Nanya deity who ruled over the subterranean realm, in his case called Shiburungu, which was also an epithet for the god himself. Shiburungu was inhabited entirely by children who had yet to be born. Since children love games, Ongo was also the patron deity of games for children as well as a game of chance or gambling done by adults. Ongo lived in an elevated hut in Shiburongu, a village guarded by giant version of birds. The creator deities famously played the Nanga gambling game called Wiki with the semi divine hero Mingdu. Kiruga, the Ninga rain goddess. Kiruga was depicted as a very old woman who dragged rain clouds behind her wherever she went. The goddess could change the falling rain to hail if she chose. In some myth, Kiruga is the mother of the lightning god, Kuba. Nintumba. The Arkvark guard of the Ninga people in Tumba ruled the subterranean kingdom called Munandu, which was often used as the epithet for Tumba himself. To the Nanga, Arkvark are special creatures, hence the extraordinary reverence accorded their deity. The high regard comes from the way Arkvark walk the surface world called Oto, but can prey on huge bugs who live under the ground, with that subterranean realm being known as a karanka. The Yanka review Arkvark as being uniquely gifted as birds who are mobile on both the surface world Oto, the sky, Butu Mingo. Mingdu used his magic to repair Nunba realm after it was destroyed by the lightning god Nukuba. Kense, the sun god. Kense's domain was the sun itself, a scorching landscape with no trace of water anywhere. The Ninga people would strive to stoically endure the heat jungle. And same way their rugged sun god functioned in his hostile realm with no water or shade. Kensei was also the patron deity of leather worker and other craftsmen who worked with hides left to dry in the sun. Eclipses were thought of as the time Kense and Mary, the moon goddess, had sexual relationships. Muisa, the guy who ruled over the land of the dead, nothing could grow on trees in his realm and his favorite food was ashes and he was so fond of them he would even wallow in them uncontrollably. If non chiefs then dared to enter his realm while they were still alive, Muisa would try to trick them into a seat, which would paralyze them and hold them helpless until he beheaded them making them dead and their soul at his mercy. If they declined the seat of death, God would try to get them to eat or drink poison food or drink. Muesa was dishonest and untrustworthy, forever plotted against his human victim. He used the soul in the land of the dead as spies and informants, so he always knew everything going on in his domain. Muesa offered his daughter. The goddess Kahindu told Mindo as a wife, but Mindo declined the offer. Nakuba, the god of lightning. Nakuba was known and feared for his quick temper and his great power. Powerful chief and shaman could call on Numba to kill their enemies with his deadly lightning bolts. The lightning god was immune to cold and heat and live a nomadic existent on clouds in the sky. He could solidify lightning to use it as a makeshift staircase between heaven and earth. Nakumba admired anyone who killed with the same merciless swiftness that he himself demonstrated. The god even became a blood brother to the seven-headed monster Kirimu because of the creatures Proudless at killing. Nakumba befriended the hero, Mindu, who impressed the deity by surviving his initial attempt to slay him. He then assisted Mindu by freeing him from the Death God, Muisa's trap, by devastating the subterranean realm of the Arkvark God, Natumba, and by striking dead all the citizens of the village ruled by the evil chief, Shimwindo. Later, the two had a falling out, and Nakumba stole away Mwindo for an entire year of punishment by the heavenly deities. Mwindo, the semi divine hero who was elevated to full godhood after his death, the cycle of myth involving Mwindo formed a large part of Nganga Lord. The figure's adventures and ordeals are e- even stimulated stimu- in initiation rituals into Ningan's secret society. Mindo was born to Nem Windo, his mother, and Shemwindo, his evil father. Chief Shemwindo had forbidden his seven wives from having male offspring to avoid any potential climate at his throne. Even as fetus, Mewindo would ship out of his mother's womb while she slept and do chores for her, like gathering firewood or fetching water from the river. After the semi-divine hero was born, he had to survive multitude attempts on his life by his father. Mewindo grew at a rapid rate and was soon a man. He was a master of magic by way of song spells, was supernaturally strong, and used a punch of magical implements as axes and conga scepter. A riding crop sea sea staff made of antelope tail, the scepter enabled him to fly and serve as a weapon that always returned to his hand like Thor's hammer. Amongst his figurative labors, Mwendo a defended the sub aquatic army of the river god Mukiti B survived the death trap of Mukiti's Major Domo Kasiebe three C I meant brought an army of bats back to life after it had been slayed. D. Made banana grow in an anti life realm of the death god Musai E. Harvested honey from Musai's death bee. F. Defended the death god in solo combat. G. Defeated the arkbark god, Natumba, in solo combat. H. Defeated the creator deity Ongo at the Ningen gambling game called Wiki. I. Slew the seven-headed monster, Karimu, unintentionally inviting the wrath of the lightning god Numba, who had sworn blood royalty to the beast. J survived a year of torment at the hands of the heavenly dainties. K returned to the earth with body, with body of laws by which the rulers and the people had to abide. Mindu's su- semi-divine nature enabled him to live for such long than a mere human, and after his death he was worshipped as a hero, founder, and cultural deity. And that was the African God's Pantheon. Lunar Eclipse was welcomed by Celts in the ancient times. Lunar eclipses were not something to fear, but were associated with the rabbit and the hare, symbols of fertility. Steve Eddy and Claire Hamilton writes, To the Celts, time was circular rather than linear. This is reflected in their commencing each day and each festival at dusk rather than dawn a custom comparable with that of the Jewish Sabbath. The Celts even had their own moon god. In Irish mys- mythology, Alanta or a modern spelling Al- Elada, was a prince of a Fomorian and the father of Brest by Eri of the Tuatha de Dana. The imagery surrounding him he visited Erdő at night at sea, by the sea on the silver boat, such as he was their moon god. Their preoccupation with the nighttime was also reflected in their years beginning with the festival Semhen on October 31st, when nature appears to be dying down. Tellingly, the first month of Celtic year is Simonians, seed falls, in other words from death and darkness springs life and light caesar confirmed this as part of explanation the gauls claim all this to be descended from father de a god of death darkness and underworld declaring that this is the tradition preserved by the druids for this reason they measure period of time not by day but by nights and are celebrating birthday the first of the month and new year's day they go on the principles that the day begins at night. Another reason for the importance of night in the Celts' reckoning of time lies in their regards for the moon and the feminine principle which is represent. Certainly there is some evidence that they observe the solar festival of solstices and equinoxes, and especially the summer solstice. It is also true that the Druid's most sacred plant mistletoe was associated with the sun. However, the waxing and waning of the moon were of the far greater importance. The Celts showed their respect for the moon by using euphorisms such as "glinach," meaning brightness, and never referring directly to the moon. Max fishermen followed this custom until the 19th century, referring to the moon as Benrin. Nahoy, Queen of the Night. More persuasive, however, is the evidence he found in Celtic calendar. The earliest known Celtic calendar is the Coligny calendar, now in the Palace des Arts in Lyon, France. It dates prob- probably from 1st century BC and is made of bronze fragments such as a single huge plate. It is inscribed with Latin character, but in Gaulish. It begins each month with a full moon and covers a 30-year cycle, compromising five cycles of 62 lunar months and of the 61. It divides each month into fourth nights and rather than weeks, with days designated from observation. Each year is divided into 13 months, the colony calendar achieve a complex synchronization of the solar and lunar months. whether it is it does this for philosoph- philosophical or practical reason, it points to consider considerable sophistication. The lunar months giving to Coligny calendar are as follows. The translation are based on those of, Kitlin Matthew, Celtic name's modern month's meaning. Simonians, October, November, seed, fall. Dumanios, November, December, darkness, death. Rioros, that's December, January, cold time. Anagantios, that's January, February, means stay home time. Ogronios, February and March mean ice time. Kutios, March-April, windy time. Diamonios, April-May, shoot show. Semivisonios, May-June, bright time. Equals, equals June-July, horse time. Elembios, July-August, clam time. Errhenios, that's August-September, arbitration time. Catlos, that's September-October, that's song time. That's us right now, we are in that September-October. So, this calendar creation was created specifically for that longitude-latitude location. It does not always going to apply for other um, culture due to location. And of course, due to changes and adaptation, that calendar doesn't necessarily apply anymore because of the pole shift, landslide, geomagnetic field. So yes, calendar have to evolve over time. Ragnarok and the Moon According to Norse mythology there was once a very braggadocious man living on Midgard Midgard that's earth mid in the middle <laughs> At some point he became the father of two absolutely beautiful kids a boy and a girl named Mani and Sol respectively he then went around telling everyone he knew that his children were even more beautiful than celestial beings. In the gods' book, this was a seer's faux pas. So they went and actually stole his lovely children, turned them into gods and put them in the sky for eternity. Thus teaching the man a lesson about humility. Their new job was to ride chariots bragging the moon and sun across the sky. So was in charge of the sun and many of the moon. All the while these kids were being chased by two wolves named Hati for hatred and Skull mean mockery. These beasts were the children of F- uh, Finlir, the Titanic wolf who was fathered by Loki and Angerbod, a giantess. At some point these wolves will catch up with Sol and Manny and eat them. The world will then be plunged into darkness setting off Ranorok, the end of the world. A Japanese Poop Story. According to Japanese Shinto folklore, at the beginning of time, the celestial sibling of Izanagi and Izanami create the lands and all the kamis, means gods, and the people who live on them. Izanami eventually died during the difficult childbirth, and the distraught Izanagi then went to Yomino Kan the land of the dead, to bring her back. His trip was unsuccessful, and upon returning, he knew that he needed to purify himself by washing his face. He thus went to Hot Spring, and upon rinsing his left eye, a god named Amaterasu was born from his left eye. Skukuyomi came out of his right eye and Susano from his nose. These three gods were more beautiful than any of Izanagi had created with his sister or wife before, so he decided that they would rule the heavens. But Tsukuyomi was a bit of a troublemaker. Many years later, after the world was already pretty well populated, he went to visit the goddess of food. Yukemochi, and she had invited him to her feast. Once Sukoyomi got there, he found out that her method of producing food involved vomiting and defecating it onto the earth. Utterly disgusted by what he saw, he killed her. Amaterusa was very mad at him when he returned to the heavens. She told him that he was evil kicked him out and ruled the heaven on her own thereafter Suzano had also been kicked out for other reason as such amaterasu became the sun goddess and Sukuyomi was the moon god that always chased after her she didn't want anything to do with him anymore even during eclipses The Japanese thought that Amaterasu was still keeping her distant from the moon, just from different angle. Selene, the Greek lunar goddess. The ancient Greeks had a number of goddesses of the moon. One of them was the famous Artemis, who symbolized hunting, chastity, the moon, and wilderness. But Selene was thought to be the main goddess in charge of the Grey Orb, and unlike the, ch- the chastened Ar- Artemis, she lived a fairly interesting life. When she wasn't riding her moon chariot across the sky, Selene liked ripping mortals. On such mortal was called Edimion. He was a handsome shepherd. hunter who lived in Olympia. Once Selene had a crush on him, she asked Zeus to put him forever to sleep so that she might kiss him while sleeping. She did more than that. While he slept, she used Edomene to produce 50 daughters. Those daughters are thought to represent the 50 lunar months of the Olympian, the period of about four years between Olympic Games. Edymyun never had a chance to wake up again, ever. Selene soon moved on from him, though at one point she was seduced by Greek god of nature, Pan. What was so seductive about him? Apparently he was dressed as a sheep and she was into it. This crazy goddess was also later adopted and worshipped by Romans, renamed it Luna. Hence why so many Latin countries, for example, France, Spain, Portugal, still call the moon Luna, Loon. Inuit Incest. inner tribes inhabited Alaska, Greenland, and the Arctic. Their goddess of the sun is known as Malina, and the moon god is her brother, Aningan. According to legends from many hundreds of years ago, these two siblings used to be normal mortals who got along really well, but at one point, Aningen started to fancy his sister in a sexual way, so he snuck into woman's sleeping area that Inuit apparently have had, had sex with her every night for a few weeks. Initially, Melina couldn't tell who was climbing on top of her, and she didn't really care. But she did grow curious eventually, so she took some sooth from a burnt out fire, and then Again visited her again, she marked him on the face with it. Then she took a torch and walked towards where the men slept, only to discover that her brother was a pervert. She ran away. Aningen saw her and tried to chase after her, but being in a hurry, he dropped his own torch, thereby losing his light. The two sibling ran so fast that they took off into the sky and became the sun and the moon. While chasing Milena, the moon god forgets to eat, which is why the moon always grows thinner for a while. When it disappears, it means Aningen is off on a hunt for aforementioned food. During this lunar eclipse, it is thought that the siblings have met again and are having sex in the sky. Khonsu. Who is Khonsu? The ancient Egyptian Khonsu, or Khensu, Khons, Chons, Chonsu, is the ancient Egyptian god of the moon. His name means traveler. And this may relate to the perceived nightly travel the moon across the sky. Along with Thoth, he marked the passage of time. Khonsu was instrumental in the creation of the new, of the new life in all living creatures. In, at Thebes, he performed part of the family triad, the Tibetan triad with Mut as his mother and Anum as his father. Khonsu's name reflects the fact that the moon returned, referred to as La, in Egyptian, travel across the night sky for its meaning traveler, also had a title embracer, pathfinder, and defender, as he was thought to watch over those who travel at night, as the gods of the light in the night. Kansu was invoked to protect against wild animals and aid with healing. It was said that when Kansu caused the crescent moon to shine, woman conceived. Cattle became fertile and all nostrils and every throat was filled with fresh air. Some of the attributes, in art of Khonsu is typically depicted as a mummy with a symbol of childhood, a side lock of hair, as well as a menet necklace with crooked and frail. He was close links to other divine children such as Hor- Horace and Shu. He is sometimes shown wearing an eagle or falcon's head like Horus, with whom he is associated as a protector and healer, adorned with a sun disc and crescent moon. Khonsu is mentioned in the pyramid texts and coffin texts in which he depicted in a fierce aspect, but he does not rise to prominence until the new kingdom, when he is described as the greatest god of the great gods. Most of the construction of the temple complex at Karnak was centered on Khonsu during the the Ramsite period. His temple at Karnak is in relatively good state of preservation, and on one of the walls is depicted a creation myth in which Khonsu is described as the great snake who fertilized the cosmic egg in the creation of the world. Khonsu's reputation as a healer spread outside Egypt. Estelle records how a princess of Becton was instantly cured of an illness upon the arrival image of Khonsu. King Plotomy the Fourth, after he was cured of an illness, called himself Beloved of Khonsu, who protects his majesty and drives away evil spirits. For those who don't know Khonsu, he has green skin, so that makes him a green dragon the emerald order um, under the creation and um, I believe that the crescent moon and the, um, the sun disk is uh, part of the diamond order of creation as well.